Well, if you are using a pew Bible, we're still, we're on page 1208, 1208. Um, if you're not using a pew Bible, we're in 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're still talking about a life that lasts, and we're still talking about false teachers. This is the third sermon out of chapter 2. And chapter 2 is really a whole, but we, if we'd have had about three hours one day, we could have talked about everything we talked about, plus a little bit more, maybe. But this, uh, the more I dig into this book, I've been saying this for a while now, not only about this book, but all the books we study, the more I'm looking at things that I've read a thousand times, go a little deeper, and there's just so much more there than I, than I ever imagined. If you perused over this, you'd go, yeah, that's, that's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, we ought to be careful about that. But this whole chapter, and specifically this section, is, is, is probably one of the most intense parts of the Bible. Um, and we're in 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 10b and go through verse 22. And, and I'm calling this, be careful in your journey. Because this is Peter's intense warning about false teachers. And... <laughs> Well, I'll come to a statement in a moment, but this part is, it's a dire warning. It is, it's scary. This is the closest the Bible comes to saying a man can lose his salvation. It's not what he's saying, but he says it in such a way, it would be easy to think so. He is, he's going to make you wonder, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? And uh, as we look at this, it's no wonder that, say, that Peter is getting so intense about it because he knows he's about to die. He's already said it once. He's going to say it again. He, he knows that his end is coming soon. This is the last word that we know we have from Peter while he was before his death. And so it became his highest priority to warn us, to let the church know how we should live and what we should do. And the church as a whole and the Christian individually are under spiritual attack daily. We, we, we don't realize that. We're, we're not prepared for that war because I believe that we have become addicted to an institutional cultural religion instead of becoming a boot camp of spiritual warfare. And that's what the church ought to be, a boot camp of spiritual warfare. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who by many people call him the prince of preachers, said this, discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is the difference of telling the the difference between right and almost right. The false teacher is almost right. Because if he said something really radically different than what, you, what the Bible said and what you believed, you'd go, oh, you're nuts. But he tells you a whole lot of stuff sounds real good, and then he throws some error in there. And you can tell that if once you can recognize a false teacher. And so Peter wants us to be able to recognize these false teachers. And, and I'm, I just want to read it all so we get an overview of it. I, my time is, is growing short. But I, I'm going to read it. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. And, and so follow along. I'm going to start the last half of verse 10 um, and read all the way to the end. Bold and willful. Now remember, he, he, he took a break up there uh, in, in verse 9 
where he threw in there the hope. God knows how to rescue the righteous uh, or the godly from their trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment, especially those indulged in the lust of defiling passion, despising authority. And he goes back into what the false teacher is doing and what he is like. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, although greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Take the Lord's table with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in, uh, sorry, trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, so that he is enslaved, uh, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Would you pray with me? Lord, you moved Peter to, it probably wasn't super easy for him to write all this. We know his personality. His personality was to, to love people, to, to give your message. But Lord, the message you gave him to give us from one of the kindest people, was you better watch out. This is eternally important. This is deadly. This is devastating. It'll devastate the person. It'll devastate the church. It'll devastate the society, the community, the nations, and the world. And Lord, we know that the enemy will think he is winning as we wind down this earth toward the end. And it will look like he's winning, but we know that you have a purpose and a plan in that as well, that you will overcome, you will restore all things. And Lord, we look forward to that day. So in the midst of our little segment of time, as we struggle against these super spiritual forces or forces of super spiritual beings that, in, that fill and inspire people with false messages, Lord, give us discernment to know the difference between right and almost right. Help us to know the, the fallacies that are in uh, these things. And God, give us the grace to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to take home a statement with you. And here's, here's the statement. 
Because there is truth, there must also then be falsehood. You can't have, say, well, that's truth without having something to compare it to to know, well, that's true and that's false. So therefore, by the end of this sermon, I want you to be aware of and know how to avoid this danger on your journey that we call life. We're in a journey. And I'm starting in chapter 2, verse 10, the last half through verse 14, because in there he gives some characteristics of these false teachers. Now, I've already read it, so I'm just going to talk about it. First of all, it says, they blaspheme the glorious ones. What does that mean? It means that they, they speak against fallen angels. Against, we, we tend to think that, that fallen angels are demons. And I want you to think about Jude chapter, uh, the book of Jude. It's only got one chapter. And verse 9 it's just a few books over from Second Peter. And here's what it says. But when the archangel Michael. So Michael is probably now the highest angel. He's definitely the highest warring angel in heaven. This is the leader of uh, the army under Christ. He is, he is Christ's top general. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil. Was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. People run around saying how they tell the devil where to go and what to do. And sometimes we say that kind of metaphorically. But these false teachers will act like they got the devil by the tail. And by the way, that is the devil's strategy, in case you don't know it. The devil will promise you all kind of good things and he'll look good and he'll look powerful when in reality all he wants to give you is death. All he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy. And at the end you will find destruction and he doesn't have power. His power is broken by the name the authority of Christ. But notice even Michael would say the Lord rebuke you. But yet here in verse 10 it says they are bold and willful and don't tremble at all when they blaspheme the glorious ones. And Michael, the greatest glorious one, wouldn't even bring an accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Thought I was way off on that, didn't you? But it, it's, a, it's a startling thing. And so I, I call that attitude arrogance. They think they know it all, got it all, they are all. And they're not. Secondly, they act on instinct like animals by blaspheme. And this is where their religion is wrong. The, the Bible says, though angels greater in might and power don't pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, they will also be destroyed in their destruction. We see the word arrogance there, but they, they also are bringing a false religion because Christianity, by the way, is not a religion. I don't know if you understand that or not. Religion is what men do to try to get to God. Christianity is what God did to get to men. Okay? It's direct opposite. It's the only, quote-unquote, religion like that. Everybody else has a plan how you can get to God. Even Christian writers do that. You'll see 10 steps to the Holy Spirit, you know. Uh, 12 ways to draw closer. Well, we can draw closer. There are things that we can do to, to, but we're making ourselves more aware of what God's already doing. God's at work. God is in us. God is with us. We just have dulled our ear to hear him. 
And, and it's not that we get closer to God, we just get more empty of self. And when you get more empty of self, there's more room for God to fill you up. And so these people are acting on instinct like an animal. And then they just party in the daytime. In, in their day, it was really weird for you to, you know, you were really bad off if you were drunk in the daytime. And I, I've, I've seen that happen. I've seen drunk staggering around during the daytime where I grew up. Talked to my dad about it, but we won't get into that right now. But you remember what happened at Pentecost. They came out, they're speaking in tongues, and everybody said, oh man, they're drunk and it's only, you know, right now. And, and Peter said, man, it's only nine in the morning. How could we be drunk? <laughs> It, it just wasn't accepted. It wasn't even thought of. But what does it say here? Reveling in the daytime. They are, in, in verse 13, suffering wrong is the wages for the wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin notice there are two sins at work there one is appetite they party in the daytime and they have eyes full of adultery which is which is a sensual desire one philosopher said these people have never seen a maiden they've only seen a harlot because that's how they look at it in Titus it says those who are pure in heart don't think that way. They don't do that way. And so they have eyes full of adultery. And so these are some characteristics of false teachers. So therefore, you ought to beware how you walk in this world and who you walk with. And I would take that list and I would kind of see these are some things that are going on with these people. We need to be careful how we walk. Do you realize that in, all through the New Testament, he warns us over and over and over and over, and more than I'm going to share with you, but the Bible warns us, be careful, they're false teachers. Let me, let me give you some of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, I've got many verses, but it says, But I'm afraid that the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Your thoughts will also be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and claims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted... You put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I, who am not the least inferior of these super apostles, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. In Galatians chapter 1, he said, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven, Mormons, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. And that's not just Mormons, but they brag about it. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There are Baptist churches doing that. There are name your denomination churches doing that. 
It's just a little bit different. It's not the grace of God in Christ. Ephesians 4.14, so that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He tells us that we ought to be growing in grace so that we won't be like children and fooled by everything that comes along. In Acts 20, Paul, standing there with the elders of Ephesus, those that he had taught for three years, says to them, Be pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you the overseer to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul warns them they're coming from outside, but they'll also come from inside. And you have to stand... When people take an oath uh, to defend the country, military politicians, they say to defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The Bible, they get that from the Bible. Wolves will come in from the outside. False teachers will grow from the inside. Well, here's some things you ought to be really careful of. Not only be careful as you walk, but be careful who goes with you as you walk. Notice what the reference in this passage is. He talks about Balaam. And Balaam, you know the story of Balaam. Uh, He was hired to curse Israel as they were passing through the land. And he said, okay, they offered him a lot of money. He said, okay, but I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. But he knew there was money in cursing Israel. So that's what he wanted to do because he wanted more money. But God kept not letting him do it. And the third time he goes to do it, he's riding a donkey And he gets between a rock and a hard place. And the donkey kind of bumps him in either place. And then just sits down under him. Because there's an angel standing in front of him with a a drawn sword about to kill him. And Balaam starts beating his donkey. Saying, what are you doing? And the donkey turns around looks at him and says, I'm keeping you from dying. There's an angel right there about to kill you. We miss the moral of that story. The donkey had more spiritual insight than the prophet of God. Wow. God liked to use donkeys just to keep us humble, didn't he? It's what Jesus rode in. You had a dumb donkey. That's the, old, that's the New King James word for can't speak. But you had an even dumber prophet riding him. So he got dumb and dumber right there. And he lets him know. You see, they love to stray from the truth. That was in verse 18. They're definitely headed to destruction. That's in verse 17. But they want believers to follow them. In verses 18 and 19. Speaking loud, boast of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. And they promise freedom. I just remember, I remember the 60s and 70s. That it was all about freedom, freedom, freedom. But what they they were just spouting the lie of Satan because Satan promises freedom, but he gives slavery. The Bible says you got to be a slave of somebody. You need to be a slave of Satan or a slave of of Christ. You are never free in yourself. People argue about free will. You've got a will bound by sin. Jesus breaks that. Look at Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 6. He breaks the bonds of slavery. And the Bible says we become the slave of Christ so that we will do righteousness. Adam had a free will. Jesus had a free will. Adam lost it. Jesus restored it. We just sang it. That better Adam 
in the song that we just sang. Jesus is the Adam who, who accomplished it and obeyed the will of God in the midst of temptation. And won for us true freedom, which means the power to do what we ought to do. It is not the, the liberty to do whatever we want to do. It's the power to do what we ought to do. And they promise freedom, but they bring destruction. And those who preach that and those who live that are bound by sin. They're claiming freedom, but they're actually incapable of doing righteousness. And so they will lie. They will do all the things that they shouldn't do. So you need to be careful of who you walk with in your journey. Balaam is one example, but there's a lot of examples in Scripture. And then you better be careful about where your journey is headed to. Where are you going? And look at verse 22. And, and by the way, he says, the, these people, they, they had the knowledge of Christ, but it would have been better if they never... What it is actually saying there is that, is that these people believed it intellectually, but it never became part of their life. Jesus talked about sowing seed on four different types of ground. And one of them, it springs up, but it gets choked off by other things. And that's, that's sort of this idea that it's sprouting, but then before it gets to maturity, he's carried away. And they're carried away by Satan. And in verse 22, there's a true proverb that says, The dog returns to his vomit, and the sow after washing becomes, uh, returns to wallow in the mire. They, they almost escape. This, the, watch where you're headed. Because there are those that almost make it out, but not quite. And the false teacher is the one snatching them back. The Bible in Jude, he talks about some are saved just snatched out of the fire. With the smoke, the smell of smoke still on them. There are people who are saved at the last second before they go to hell. And God does that sometimes. But then there are others who may live longer who live a life where they almost get there, but they are choked off. They have a knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but they become entangled in the former things. And they do not have heaven as their home anymore. They are lost. It's a dire, scary thing that Peter's talking about. And then be careful how your journey ends look back in verse 21 it had been better if they'd not known the way of righteousness and having known it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them why why would it have been better well this is not a popular belief but i I can show you where the bible teaches it Pilate asked jesus about things and jesus said the ones who have delivered me over to you know what they're doing Therefore, they have the greater sin. So there is a degree of sin. There's a degree of punishment. He's saying, it's better if you've never known Christ, the punishment won't be as severe. But these people know the truth but rejected it. And since you rejected the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, your punishment's worse. You getting that? That ought to scare you. If it doesn't scare you, you're not comprehending it yet. That we are called to Christ. And when we willfully step away from him in in anything. If you're confronted with that. I I have a belief. That if you are truly a believer. And you're confronted with your sin. You'll repent. 
And I do believe there are people who are truly a believer and can be confronted with their sin and they don't repent. But if they don't, I believe God will just kill you. We see that in 1 Corinthians. The one who's sinning, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Later on, Paul said, I turn that guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. It says that twice. It says in Proverbs that a man being often reproved, but he hardens his neck, he refuses to repent, will suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. Because he won't let you live a bad testimony so long. And if you're truly saved, the Spirit of God in you will hear the Word of God spoken to you and you will repent. And if you got sin and you're not repenting, I would, I'd fall on my face right now, but you might not want to do that in front of everybody. I don't know, but at least by the time you get home or get by yourself, start talking to God about it. And notice this last thing in here about that. I, I read it, it. It was in the point before, but you know, Jewish and Arabic people, they don't think much of dogs. The, the Jews called Gentiles dogs. It was not a term of affection. I'm affectionate about my dogs. I love my dogs. I don't love them like I love my wife or you, but I, but I love my dogs. But they're a dog, but I still love them. They don't love them. They're scavengers. They're made to eat yucky stuff and not get sick. But it sometimes it makes them sick, and they throw up, and they go back, smell it, and eat it again. Because that's the nature of a dog. Sorry, just my wife almost lost it right there. <laughs> and you can clean up a pig. They're pets now. Pigs are pets now. But what do they do? You let them go, they're going to wallow in the mire. Why? Because they can't sweat. They got to cool off. That's why they do it. But they're going to wallow in the mire. And of course, Jewish people really don't like pigs either, right? It's an unclean animal. I, I had a I heard a preacher talking about this, and, and he had a thought. I hadn't thought about this. Do you think Peter, as he's writing this, he's toward the end of his life. He's lived a life of ministry, and he's, he's probably got in his mind people that, I mean, Paul had people that he knew. He might have even led them to the Lord, and then they just turned, and he would address the church. You know, in Philippians, he says, help these two sisters. They were, they were useful to me, and now... They're arguing. They're carrying on. Help them get straightened up. There's a compassion and a desire for people to be made right. And I just imagine that Peter is this old man about to go out into eternity. And knowing the end is coming. Is wondering about some people that he might have known. But maybe an individual in particular. Somebody he was close to. Somebody who was a friend with him. Somebody that walked around with him for three years when he was with Jesus. A guy named Judas. Because Peter and Judas both betrayed Jesus. Don't forget that. Peter said, cussed and said, I don't, I don't know him. Don't accuse me. He was scared of a little teenage girl. Said, yeah, I saw you with him. Not me. And he cussed. I don't know him. And the rooster crowed. And Peter was so torn up, he repented. Judas was so torn up, he killed himself. There's a remorse that leads to death. There's a repentance that leads to life. And Peter is begging us, don't be like Judas. Don't be like Judas. Don't be like Judas. Jesus had 11 men who followed him and one that just walked around with him. Are you just walking around or are you following him? Are you doing what he did? Are you asking him to help you do what he wants you to do? Well, there are three little test I want to give you that you can maybe 
use, they're, they're inherent in the text, but you might not have seen it this way. Look at a false teacher's character. You have the test of his character. What is he really like? Sometimes you may not know. I mean, somebody you see on TV or here on radio or whatever, even somebody like myself standing up here, you might not know me personally enough to know any of my faults, which there are plenty of them, so just guess. You'll probably guess right. But look at their character. What is the nature of their life? Did David sin greatly? Yes. Did Moses sin greatly? Yes. Did, other, did the disciples sin? Yes. But what did they do? They repented. They kept repenting. They came back to God. They had a heart for God. They had a heart for desire. And their character was to follow God. Even though they messed up. But what is the overarching thing of their character? But here's something you might be blind to that's just obvious. You, you hear a lot of preachers that are this way. Some are, this might not, a couple of things might not be obvious. You might have, and by the way, I don't want you to become like hunters for false teachers. You know, you're looking for one behind every bush. I believe there's plenty of them that could be one behind every bush. But, but I'm, not, I'm not wanting you to become a, a, a hunter of them so you can just tear them up. Not, that's not the point. Point is take care for yourself that you don't follow their ideas. But, but they become, they're, they're legalistic. They look real good on the outside, but they're really legalistic. And then you got the other one. They're greedy. God loves you and he wants to bless you. And he's going to bless you if you bless me. That's called greed. Peter says, avoid that greed. Don't be that way. The Christian only gives away. He never wants to hold on to what God's given. He wants to give it to others. Look out for their character. Look out for their creed. What do they really believe? Remember what Spurgeon said? It's a discernment of the right and the almost right. Have they added to the gospel? Have they taken a little bit away? Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're saved by faith, but... Boy, you better not smoke, drink, cuss, chew, or run with people who do. Y'all remember that little saying? Baptists used to use that a lot. What is their actual creed? What do they really believe? What is the nature of their salvation? And then lastly, look at the people following them. Are they sacrificing themselves for the cause of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, this, the standards in this verse, in these verses, that we should take and take the opposite and apply them to ourselves, we realize that we really have become Christian social clubs rather than an outpost of God's army to defeat the enemy. And it grieves my heart, not, for, not about you, but about me, and then for you as well. But that, that I want to be a person like that, and, and, and I read this, and I study this, and I'm... I'm Saying, oh God, I'm, I, I, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not sold out like that. And so look at their converts. What kind of people do they bring in? They're bringing in people like them. They want company in their sin. That's in Romans 12. Romans chapters 1 and 2 as well. So look at the character. Look at their creed. Look at their converts. And those things are in this text that I just read. It's just, I expand, they were expanded out. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I, don't, I, I don't know exactly what you want to do right now. I just do know that you want obedience. You want us to love you. You want us to follow you. And Lord, each one of us need to apply this maybe differently in some way. And each individual knows the way that you are talking to them. 
I know how you're talking to me. And I just pray, Lord, that indeed we would we'd go to war, not only with our enemy, but first with ourselves, that we would put down the enemy's work in our heart, our life, our complacency, our laziness, our desire just to rest in Zion instead of, you, you haven't taken us there yet. We, you left us on the battlefield to fight. We, we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get to the safe place eventually, but you didn't guarantee us a safe place here. And so we've got to pick up the sword and fight because we're in the fight. We've got to at least try to strike back. We've got to at least try to fight against the enemy among whom we live. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes of understanding and behold what you're saying to us. Lord, you didn't call us to go and condemn everybody else that's not just like us, Lord. But you did call us to discern the right from, from the almost right, the right from wrong. God, that we would, we would follow you wholly. And that, Lord, we'd be open to correction from people that we might not even expect it from. And that when we see it, we, we can take it to you and say, Lord, is this true? And help me to understand and help me to repent where I need to repent. I don't know if you want to come pray, if you want to talk to me or whatever, but if you have something you need to talk to somebody about, just let me know. If you want to come and pray, I want you to come pray. We're going to stand up. Pastor Andy's playing. We're going to sing a little bit. I know I've been kind of heavy today, but this means God means business with us. So as we sing, if you need to come, you come.